Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to look at your word. We ask you to guide and lead and show us what you would want us to see from this section. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 19, starting at verse 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said unto them, We have not so much as heard whether there is any Holy Spirit. And he said unto them, Unto what were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him who should come after him, that is, on Jesus, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about twelve. And he went to the synagogue and spoke boldly, for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were heart hardened and believed not, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily with the school of one Tyrannius. And this continued for the space of two years, so that all they that dwelt in Asia heard of the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greek. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the disease, depart, the disease departed from them, and the evil spirits went out from them. All right, so we're going to look at this section here. Last week we talked about Apollos. Apollos was a speaker who followed the way of John the Baptist, and he met Priscilla and Aquila, and they were able to teach him about more about Jesus and and the and complete and so after this we start looking at Paul and Paul is back in Ephesus during this time during this time and he meets certain of the disciples there and he says have you received the Holy Spirit and their answer was we don't even know what you're talking about <laughs> uh, so Paul's having it having this opportunity to teach now, the Holy Spirit, as we looked at the beginning of this book, came on the day of Pentecost, came down upon the disciples, and we had the tongues of fire appearing over their heads, and, and they immediately got bold and went out in the street witnessing Peter giving his great sermon where 3,000 people get saved in one, in one message, and they're speaking out to everybody, and everybody's hearing their own language being spoken by these disciples, and great miracles are happening. So we look at this and say, well, what does this mean for us as Christians today? Well, the first thing I'm going to say is when we get saved, we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells us. He comes in and lives inside us. Now, does that mean we have the power of the Holy Spirit at that time? Not necessarily. Because all through Acts, we see the laying on of hands bringing the full power to people. When you have the Holy Spirit, you will see... God really working in your in your life and the one they mention most often is tongues and I'm not going to say tongues is the greatest gift in the out there for the Holy Spirit it's it's not something that I've been impressed with I can pray in tongues and all that it doesn't impress me uh, you know huh yeah well, the, you get into the Pentecostal branch and you have to pray in tongues or you're not going to be saved you're not you don't have it. Um, and they'll even teach you how to, how to mutter and, and, and babble in, in sounds and say you're speaking in tongues. Um, I agree with Paul. I'd rather say you know, 10 words that people understand than a, an entire message in tongues that nobody understands, including me. So, but the question is, how is God revealing himself through you? you know, and this is important. Right. We have the power of God residing in us because the Holy Spirit is in us. Our desire is are we going to let Him work through us? 
I do not feel like I have the gift of healing, but I have seen many people healed when I have prayed for them. And so, why? Because I have the Holy Spirit in me, so he's the one that's going to touch them. And this is very important for us. I, I, he comes in, and my gift that he's given me is teaching. So that is what I do. I teach, and I know that he's the one that teaches through me. And it's going to be very important for us because most Baptists will tell you the Holy Spirit dwells in you and there's power in the Holy Spirit, but then they deny the fact that the Holy Spirit will work in you. you know, and it's kind of a strange place to be. And the Pentecostals go to the other extreme and almost demand that the Spirit is going to work in a certain way for you. And I think they've gone way too far the other direction. And there has to be a good middle ground because God is the one that decides the gifts that you're going to have. He's the one that decides how the Holy Spirit is going to work through you and be revealed. And it's not me. <laughs> and it's very important that we get to this place. Now, am I opposed to people speaking in tongues? Am I, no. Am I opposed to people being given the gift of healing? No, but you've got to remember one very important thing. My biggest problem with most healing evangelists is they tend to forget that it's God who's the healer and not them. They start making this big thing, come to my, come to my service and be healed. Okay, who's doing the healing? You know, God or them? And they've got to be able to understand that it is the Holy Spirit that does it and not them. Now, God may be putting a spirit of healing on them, but we need to be very careful with that because the gifts of the Holy Spirit fully are in us because the Holy Spirit's in us. We can use any of the gifts from the Holy Spirit at any given time when, this, when God moves in our life. And it's going to be very important. And this is why I say, I don't feel like I have a gift of healing, but I have seen many people healed when I prayed for them. And I've seen some miraculous healings when I've prayed for people. And I will pray for anybody to be healed. And it's up to God what he wants to do with it. And it's very important that we keep this in mind. And Paul's going, you know, what do you know about the Holy Spirit? Uh, and, you know, there are people who kind of believe that the Holy Spirit just showed up on Pentecost. But the Holy Spirit came upon people all over in the Old Testament. And there are a lot of people that make this big distinction. In Greek, it talks about the Holy Spirit being in us. In the Hebrew portion of the Old Testament, it talks about the Holy Spirit coming on people. Personally, I don't believe there's a bit of difference between it. I think it's the way the culture looked at it. The Holy Spirit came on them, covered them, anointed them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. We would say filled with the Holy Spirit in our, in our generation. Now, my, my belief is a little off from, mo from most people. They, they make this big distinction. Well, you know, uh, but you all know that I believe that God's outside of time, and he has dealt with the Old Testament saints the same way as he deals with us because technically, by a human viewpoint, they were looking forward to the cross, but God knew Jesus was going to die as soon as he said, yes, he was going to die, and that was before the creation of the world because it talks about that Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. When the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit got together and said, we're going to create man, man, and man's going to sin. Jesus, will you die? As soon as Jesus said, I will die, the Father looked at him and said, okay, you're dead. And you're going to die for these people because he said, yes, he is God. He cannot lie. So therefore, as soon as he said yes, God could deal with all of people for all of, all of time in the fact that Jesus had already died. But because he said, yes, I will, he was slain as far as the father was concerned because he was God. He, he cannot lie. So as soon as he said, yes, I will die for them, God from that point, from Adam and Eve, was able to forgive Adam and Eve by the blood of Jesus Christ, even though he wasn't going to die for 4,000 years. But because God's outside of time, as soon as Jesus said, yes, I'll die, he saw it done. You know, and believe me, there are lots of Christians who believe that the Old Testament saints all did not have God, did not have this forgiveness, did not have all of this because they had to look forward. They had to wait till Jesus died before they could have the forgiveness of Jesus' blood. But he was already slain in the eyes of the Father. But he died because of the fall. Well, he died because of the fall, and he agreed to die before the fall even happened. And this is the key to all of this. 
He has never dealt with anybody outside of the blood of Jesus Christ, even because even before Jesus had died, he still knew that Jesus was going to die. And even for us, he already knows what we're going to do in the future because he's outside of time. And this is, this is hard for us to come. It's mind-boggling to us because we're stuck in time. Well, we lie to ourselves all the time. Satan lies to us all the time about who we are and what we are. And this is the hard thing. We've talked about this. In our sin, we are dead. We have no real life until we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And then we have real life. And from God's perspective, he, the minute we said, accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he justifies us and says that we are perfect. And in his eyes, we are perfect because he already knows what we will be. And this is the hard thing. This, this is what gets us... We are stuck in time as human beings, and we see everything from a forward, from in, in a forward motion, and we can't even go back in time. God dwells outside of time, and deals with us in a way that is not even, you know, sensible to us because He is already. As soon as we get saved, He starts dealing with us as what we will be, because He already knows what we will be, and He starts dealing with us that way. And this is the whole thing that God says, and we spend our entire time, after we get saved, we spend our entire time being made perfect. But God says, you've accepted my son. I've clothed you with his righteousness, and I know what I'm going to make you the moment you die. You're going to be glorified. And he starts looking at us and dealing with us in that state. And we keep looking at ourselves and saying, who are we? What can we do? God, how can you love me as miserable and bad as I am? And we need to be able to understand that God does not see us the same way we see ourselves. Now, and this is hard and very important because we are a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.12 says we are a new creation. And he makes us something brand new so that we are able to know him. He gives us life. God comes into us and now we have spiritual life. Before that, we only have the flesh and the soul. And, the, and neither one of them want to serve God. We accept Jesus Christ and we are brought back to life. The part that died when Adam and Eve sinned was the spirit. They still had animated bodies and, and the soul living. Now they were going to die. We weren't created even to die. But they lost their spiritual life the moment they sinned. And we, from that point on, have lost our spiritual life without God. Pride is a major sin. And that was the sin of Satan. Satan had pride that he wanted to be like God. And the very first sin that he had is, the man, you want to be, if you take this, you'll know good and evil and you will be like God. You, know, you will be like God. So he was using the same exact thing that, that hooked him with man. And ever since then, there's been problems <laughs> with that. And all, and technically, all sin is related to pride. Why do we lie? Because we're trying to protect ourselves. Why do we, why do we steal? We want something that somebody else has and feel that we deserve it more. It all really boils down to pride in the bottom line of all sin. And so we come back to this. Paul says, have you, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they're going, well, we don't know what you're talking about. Well, obviously, these weren't Jews that he was talking about because they would have at least known who the Holy Spirit was. They wouldn't have known that we could have him living in them, but they would have known who the Holy Spirit was. And so Paul's next question is, okay, what are you believing? Whose baptism you know, were you baptized under? And this, again, we've talked about this. The Jewish people baptized you depending on who, you're who you were following. So it wasn't uncommon for the Jewish people to be baptized three or four times in their lifetime. You know, you switched teachers and you went and got baptized. <laughs> and you got baptized in the name of that teacher. So when John the Baptist was out baptizing at the Jordan River, he was not starting something new. Jews had been doing this for a long time. And so they were and you see it all through Acts. Who, who's, whose baptism were you baptized in? I was baptized in, the, in John's baptism. You know, and what did John teach? He taught repentance, which was a new concept. I mean, it was, it's through the scripture, but it was a new concept that you came to God through 
repentance because the Jews, even though they understood that you had you know, that works didn't get you there, repentance was not all that important to them. They usually lived on sacrifices and, and works. So John the Baptist had a new message to them. Repent. Repent. Turn away from your sins. And this was hard for the scribes and Pharisees to, uh, to accept. They thought, well, I'm doing, I'm really good. I don't have anything to repent from. You know, and the few sins I do, I'll just have for a sacrifice for it, and they'll be <laughs> there, there won't be any problem. Unfortunately, this is where the Jewish people are today. Since the temple has been destroyed and they cannot offer sacrifices, the rabbis have decided, well, we don't have sacrifices, so if you do enough good works, you're going to be okay. Even though the scriptures are very clear that there's no forgiveness of sin without the remission, of, without the shedding of blood, and no sacrifices, which is why the ultra-Orthodox Jewish people are desperately wanting the temple to be, to be rebuilt so they can start having sacrifices again. Because they don't recognize that Jesus ended the sacrificial system by his death, burial, and resurrection. And the sad thing I find is there are so many Christians that somehow think that I've got to do more good works. Uh, and it's sad because I've seen it even amongst Christians. They know they get saved by Jesus Christ's blood, and that's all they need. But then they go, what more can I do? I've got to do something. You know, pride again. It's, what do I do? You know, it can't all be Jesus. <laughs> and we've talked about this so many times. You know, why do we do good works is not because I'm trying to get God to love me or accept me. I do it because I love him. And I am just doing it because I want, I want <laughs> to do things that are going to please him, but not so that I get into heaven. Now, the good news is that when we do things through him, we will get rewards. If we allow him to work through us, when we get to heaven, there will be rewards in heaven. And this is something that's very important. We all get to heaven because of the work of Jesus Christ. And then we're going to be rewarded by what we let him do through us. At the Bema Seat of Christ, which is where Christians appear, our works will be, as it was said, thrown into the fire to see what survives. <laughs> now, the good news there is also you're only going to be judged on what God has asked you to do. All right? So if you are given lots and lots of gifts, and I've said this before, if you have somebody who has one gift and, you know, maybe they're a prayer warrior and they're an excellent prayer warrior and they're using their prayer, you know, prayer warrior gift all the time, that person's going to be rewarded more than the pastor out there that may be given three or four gifts and uses two of them. Because they didn't use everything that God gave them to and this person used all their gifts. That person may look like they've done lots of things to the world's point of view but they haven't served God the way he equipped them. So never feel like you, you're, our, our game is not to compare ourselves to anybody else. Our job is to compare ourselves to what God has called us to do. Because there are lots of people who have great discipline and may look like they're doing good things for God because of, just because of their discipline. And I, and I shared this even at a pastor's meeting. How many pastors get up on a Sunday morning they really don't want to preach. They've studied their everything. They're not in the mood to preach. They're not listening to the Holy Spirit. And they may even give a good message because they practice every day of the, you know, every year, every, every week, and, you know, and get good. But the message is completely from inside of them and not through the Holy Spirit. That message burns up. Some people might get something out of it. And maybe, you know, the people get something different than what he gets. We, the wood, hay, and stubble will burn up. Now, we all know what stubble is. Stubble is just the, the waste products. There's no, nothing in the, in, the, in the stubble. It's worthless. Hay has its purpose. You feed animals with it. You, you can do all kinds of things. Wood, wood is very valuable. We, we frame our houses with wood and everything. But Jesus is saying anything that you do in your own flesh is wood, hay, and stubble. So many pastors oftentimes are going to be having a lot of wooden structures. <laughs> they were good. They gave a good message. They, they went to Bible college. They learned how to put their, put their notes in order. They learned how to speak correctly. They learned how to, to present the information. And it's just, and it's just you know, like a Pharisee. And they, they might even have the right attitude toward it. But it is made out of wood and it burns. Because God wants us to serve him. 
He wants us to go out and serve him in whatever way that is out there. And we know the difference. We really do. If you know God, you know the difference of whether you're doing it or whether God's doing it. And I've shared with you, there, there are times when I'm talking to somebody and I, in, my, in my mind, I'm standing back listening to what's being said and realizing it's not me anymore. You know, it's not me speaking at this moment. It is God speaking through me and I'm kind of enjoying what's going on. You know, how many times have you been in just the right place at the right moment to help somebody? And it was nothing that you planned out and you have a choice at that moment. Am I helping them or am I not helping them? But God put you in the right place. Uh, and that's happened to me several times when I, you know, gone someplace that I had no plans to go to and just happened to be at the right place that somebody needed something. You know, a word spoken to them, some help, whatever it might be. That's one of those God moments where God has put you in and now you have your free will choice. Am I going to do what he's asked me to do or not? And the biggest thing is we oftentimes have to ask him, open my eyes so that I can even see the God moment. Uh, I've had times when I've gotten past, I'm going, you know what, I should have said or done this because I wasn't looking for that moment at the time that it happened. Paul's talking to them. They say, you know, we're, we were baptized in John, John's baptism, John's teaching. And Paul in verse 4 says, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance. And this is a valid thing. I mean, we are to repent of our sins and turn, and repentance is to turn away from. It's a very valuable, and he says, saying unto the people that they should believe on him that is to come after him, that is Jesus Christ. So now he's expanding upon their knowledge. Okay? John gave you the right gospel. He told you to repent. He told you this, but he also told you the Lamb of God was coming. And he goes, now let me tell you about the Lamb of God. And he's getting ready to expand upon their knowledge and say that you are to believe, be persuaded of. And this is the most important thing. When you become a Christian, you are saying, I am persuaded that Jesus died for my sins and now is living in me. And I've told people, if you know Jesus is your Savior, you know, you know that he's your Savior. There's nobody's going to be able to convince you that he's not your Savior because you know him. That would be like somebody coming up to me and saying, well, you don't really know your wife. Well, you know what? I've been with her for 40 years. I know her voice. I know, I know, I, I know her actions. I know her. You know, you can't convince me that I'm not married to my wife. You know, we've known each other for a long time. I have known Jesus longer than I have known my wife. You're not convincing me that I don't know him. Okay. Very important. Are we persuaded to, of him? And this is what that word believe means, that I am persuaded. I know the facts. I know what I'm looking at. And very important. So he says that you should believe on him that comes. And when they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. So he gave them a new teaching, a new thing to believe. Now, when I talk to people, I don't try to get people to get baptized multiple times in our generation. But I do concern, why did you get baptized when you got baptized? Are you being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ? And what that means by being baptized in his name is I am agreeing to what he teaches and his doctrines. So I'm not saying that every time you switch churches you have to be baptized. <laughs> it's not, you know, but if you're not being baptized in the name of Jesus, then yes, you need to be baptized again. You know, if you're not baptized in his name, and this whole process is whose name are you baptized in? Whose name if you agreed to serve and to follow? And this is why I said for the Jewish people, anytime you changed rabbis who taught something different, you'd be baptized in that new rabbi's name. So when John Baptist came along, he was a new rabbi <laughs> teaching repentance, and people were baptized. Then you come along to Jesus, and he's saying, you are saved through faith by grace, and this is this new teaching that he's given you, and they're being baptized in the name of Jesus. So this is very important. And Paul said, I'm going, to, I'm going to teach you this. I'm going to teach you this new name, and I'm going to baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And along with this comes that agreement that in whose name you're baptized, you are to agree to live there 
their doctrines. And you know, I'm kind of sad that over the years we've fallen away from the, the foundation of baptism. You know, the average Baptist answer is the baptism is an outward sign of an inward change. And yes, that is a true statement. You know, when I'm baptized, it's to be an outward expression of what has happened to me internally. But it's even deeper because I'm agreeing to live according to what I am learning. And it is very important that we make this distinction to live by what we're learning or the true self that we're given. You know, a true opinion of who we are. You know, when we are saved, we are made a new creation. We have been, we are put on Christ. God sees us as righteous. He puts a seal on us that we are, can, that we are going to go to heaven. You know, we've got the 51 things that we talk about that God does at the moment of salvation. And he does so much for us. And we need to really begin to understand who we are in Christ. And because if Satan is going to come along, and when somebody gets saved, Satan comes along and says, well, you're not, you know, you really didn't have anything. There's nothing really. And they try, he tries to make us doubt what we are. And this is why it's important for us to be able to say uh, no. You know, uh, I tell you, you know, I like to tell us, you know, what we need to do in the door, when Satan knocks on the door, is let, go, let Jesus go answer that door for us. But at the same token, we need to know what we believe. I'm really beginning to get to the place where when somebody gets saved, I'm telling them to read Ephesians, especially the first two chapters of Ephesians. Because all through those first two chapters says, we are, I am, you know, who are we in Christ? I am forgiven. That has power in it. To know that I am forgiven of my sins. Because Satan will love to come along and say, well, you know how bad you are. You know, how, can, how could God forgive you? Well, because Jesus died on the cross, I am forgiven. And one of the things we are taught as Christians is that we're to edify and build one another up. You know, these guys got to, the Holy Spirit came in and they started speaking in tongues and prophesying. Now, we've talked about this as well. Prophecy is not just telling the future. It is speaking with the authority of God. All right. This is the opportunity where they were telling some future things probably, but they were also speaking with authority. And this is important for us to understand. You know, there are many people who speak with this authority of God. Most teachers should have that authority. If they're going to really teach, they should have that authority where they're going, this is what God says. Now, how do we know what God says? We have to study. We have to learn. Now, if you don't know God and know his word, you're not going to speak with authority, at least not God's authority. And I've seen this over the years where somebody says something and you go, that doesn't match the Bible. Well, this is what I think. This is what the Holy Spirit... Uh, come back to the Bible. If it doesn't match the Bible, it's not authoritative. And this is something that I've shared. You know, there's times when I've talked to young people. They're ready to get married. And I'm going, well, is, there, is this person you want to get married to a Christian? Oh, no. Uh, God says don't be unequal. Well, God has told me... I go, God says don't be unequally yoked. He's not going to tell you to do something that is against his word. And this is very important for us to understand. If we're going to make a decision, now does God tell us everything to do in our, in our life? No, not necessarily. But, you know, one thing, if it goes against the principle of the word of God, don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And... You know, I've shared this kind of tongue-in-cheek, but you know, how many times do we kind of go to God? God, if you just knew my circumstances, you would say that what, you'd understand that what the Bible says isn't true. And we never would actually say that out to him, but isn't that what we think in many times? God, you know, my circumstances are these, and therefore I am special, you know, God, because, because my circumstances, if you just knew all of my circumstances, God, when you wrote that book, you wouldn't have made this apply to me. Using your own reason <laughs> instead of trusting God. And when you do that, you're going to go back and wish that you had trusted God in the long run. You know, and believe me, everyone that I've talked to and said, don't get married, don't get unequally yoked, you know, 
Yes, on a rare, rare occasion, somebody draws somebody into, into God's realm instead of being torn down. But I've seen more people torn down and torn away from God than come to him. It, you know, I say it would be one in ten. It's probably closer to one in a hundred that actually lifts somebody out instead of getting pulled down. And even one in ten is not great odds to be building your life around. Knowing that 90% chance that you're going to fall because of your relationship is not worth, worth doing. And yet some, so many people, when they're in the throes of their infatuated love, are willing to take that chance instead of trusting God. It is so important. And here in America, we have it even worse. You know, God says, don't, be a, don't borrow money. And yet, in America, everybody borrows money. You know, and I'm guilty. <laughs> I'm guilty. And I know better. And I'm trying to get rid of it now. But, you know, it is important for us to understand. You know, one of the rules you're taught in business school is use other people's money. What, is that? what are they telling you? Borrow other people's money to put at risk so that you can go bankrupt on somebody else's money and not have to pay them back. It's, it's a crazy world that we live in that they will make decisions on what looks good, what looks like a good idea. And, it's, and it sounds so good you know, when, you, when you just walk it down and you say, well, this is what, this is what people say. It must be, you know, this is what all the experts say. Well, I think my expert that I really want to try to live under is God, the expert, who knows the beginning from the end. He knows what's right. And every time I violate his, his principles, I get in trouble. Not just spiritual trouble, but just trouble, period. You know, and it, it is amazing to not trust God and still expect that you're going to have his blessings. And it is tough, but yet that's where we go. We do it, you know, we do it, everybody seems to do it. I don't know anybody who's ever followed God's word exactly other than Jesus Christ, because he's the only one perfect for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. And even after we're saved, we're going to sin and come short of the glory of God. The only good news is Jesus' blood has forgiven us when we do sin. And that oneness with him, that desire to follow him and listen to him, listen to his voice is so important. And being filled with the Spirit so that we can now have him come out of us. He dwells with us. He says that we're perfect, and he then, at times when we let him, will we'll run our life and let us. And it is fun. It is really fun to, to be watching God work through you. And just kind of step back. It's happened many times when I'm witnessing to people the right things are being said at the right time. And I'm going, God, I, it's, I know it's not me. I'm not that eloquent. I'm not that smart. I'm not that quick. If you get to know me, I'm the type of person who thinks the answer three hours after I'm done talking to the person. <laughs> you know, but when the Holy Spirit is re responding, those things just keep flowing right out. You know, granted, I study a lot. There's a lot for him to draw on, and I think it's important. Why do we study to be a good workman? So that there's something to be drawn from. If I don't fill my mind with something, yes, God can make something right out of, you know, make me speak something, but... You know, most of what I speak is something that I have studied, something I know from the past. Uh, and God uses what I know and dredges it back up. Sometimes I'm going, I haven't, spoke, I haven't thought about that in decades, but it's there. Now, if it has to be said, God will, God will speak it. God will speak it if it has to be said. But you know what? He wants, to, he wants us to speak out of what we know. You know, there are certain people that have certain groups that they can speak to real easy. I love speaking to college people, which is really amazing that God puts me in a small town with no college <laughs> so that I can't draw on my own strength. <laughs> and you know, one of the people, you know, the people he's putting in colleges to minister <laughs> are usually the, the small town guys that have barely studied and then God calls them, why? Because they, he wants them to know that it's him that's doing the work. God very rarely puts people in a place where their strength is going to be something that they can look at. 
you know, because then what would happen is, God, look what, look what I've done. God, you know, I, I was really smart, God. I, I, have, I have a genius IQ, and I've been studying these people for all these years, and God, I was just able to answer all their questions. And God says, well, big deal. <laughs> you know, uh, and it's very funny to watch what God does. And I've seen it so many times over the years. God raises up somebody to be a leader in a, in a church ministry or something. You're going, God, that person? <laughs> That's the person that you want to lead this? And, you know, because they're doing it in God's strength, they do great things. And, they said the same thing about Jesus. Huh? They said the same thing about Jesus. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well. Oh, yeah, because that was how they looked at it. They looked at him after the flesh. Yeah. Oh yeah. And in his case, though, they, they were seeing wrong. <laughs> in our case, it's him working through us, so that's why we get to do the things that, you know. And they probably are right, you know. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. All right, verse 8 says, And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading things concerning the kingdom of God. So Paul is in the, going to the synagogue for about three months in Ephesus. And we know that he kept doing this, and most of the synagogues he got chased out of pretty quick uh, because he was teaching things that they considered not right as Jews. You know, they were saying the Messiah, he's saying the Messiah has come, he died on the cross, and He's, you know, forgiveness of sin, and they're going, at some point they go, no, you need to get out of here, you're causing problems. <laughs> and uh, Paul then went out, and in verse uh, 9 it says, and there were diverse hardships, <laughs> and many believed not, and they spoke evil of that way before the multitude. So he's having all kinds of problems, and when you see the word that way, that is the name of the church back then. They were followers of the way. We weren't called Christians until many, well, in the, in the, in before the first century, but originally they were followers of the way, all right? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and so the, church, the Christians called themselves the way, the followers of the way. So we see this statement, they were criticizing and spoke evilly, evil of that way, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So just helping you understand, because all through, all through Acts, you'll see the, the way. And then he separated from these ones that were arguing with him and continued for another two years in Ephesus. Ephesus, we, we, he spent a long time in Corinth, and he spent a long time in Ephesus, building these churches up. And so he spends two years, and this is one of the rare times when we're told how long Paul stays someplace. And you look at this, we don't hear much about the whole two years that he's there. <laughs> There's not a whole lot telling us what went on. And this is why I say for us, you know, we kind of look at these Bible heroes and say, wow, they lived really exciting lives, you know, because they did this, 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 and this. And we kind of forget the fact that it was years in between, you know, that all this stuff happened. The hardest thing about being a disciple of God is living in the day-to-day -day monotony of our life where it doesn't seem like God's doing a whole lot special. Now, if we saw it from his point of view, we would know he's doing something special all the time. Don't get me wrong. But most of our life is I get up in the morning, I have breakfast, I read my Bible, I pray, I go do these things, and yes, I do a few things for God here and there, but I'm not doing anything special. I'm just sharing them with a few people, and I come home, eat my dinner, go to bed get up the next day and start all over, and we look and go, why can't I be like Paul? Being beat up everywhere I went and being kicked out, of, <laughs> kicked out of places, or why can't I be David? Look at all the exciting things David did. Look at all the exciting things you know, that happened to Joseph or happened to, to all these different people. Well, number one, we don't want to have most of what happened to them happen to us anyway. You know, they had trials. They had tribulations, and it was their trials that led to the things that we remember. We remember Joseph being ruler of Egypt. How did he get there? He was sold as a slave. He spent year, you know, years in prison, and then he got promoted. 
13 years as a slave and a prisoner before he got promoted. Huh? Well, he interpreted dreams, you know, he, he got in trouble with his brothers by interpreting dreams, and then he got, in, he got promoted by interpreting dreams. But there's, seven, there's 13 years in between the time that he gets sold into slavery at 17 and the time he gets promoted at 30. And we go, well, God, I really want to be promoted. Are you ready for the years of trial before the promotion? The years of pain before the promotion. Paul has lots of great things happening. He builds churches all over the place. He also gets chased out of more towns than he, than, you know, and stoned and beat and all these other things in his lifetime. You know, we need to be careful what we think we want. <laughs> if you want the promotion, the trials and tribulation lead to the promotion. And it doesn't matter who you look at in the Bible, they all went through some very hard times to get to the promotion. Daniel, you know, wonderful character, but he was taken from the king's house, made a servant before he's promoted, and tempted and tested, and he goes, I can't eat the, I can't eat the king's food because it's not the right food. He was taking his hands in his, you know, his life in his hands saying, I can't eat this food because my God is more important than the God you're trying to get me to follow. And yet God gave him favor in the eyes of the eunuch and said, okay, we'll try your test. <laughs> we all have the same faith. They exercise the faith, which is why we know them. If they had not exercised the faith, we wouldn't know anything about them. They exercised it and they got ridden up because, you know, how many people in this history book had the opportunity to live the way they did but never did? That's us. If we want to be used by God, we have to exercise the faith that he's giving us, face the problems that are going to come our way, look like we're and feel like we're failing, <laughs> and then get the promotion that comes at some point in the future. And we see it all through here. If you followed the disciples' lives, they had plenty of failings. But we know them because they repented and they were used by God. Judas Iscariot could have been forgiven for his, for his turning in Jesus, but he would never humble himself. He said, I've done something so bad, I, I'll never be forgiven, and went and hung himself. He could have been forgiven. Peter had denied Jesus and still got forgiven. And Peter was even, Peter was going, you know, Jesus is raised from the dead. Well, okay, I'm going fishing because I'm not. Peter expected not to be forgiven. He goes, I, was, I thought I was something, now I'm not. You know, so I'm just going to go fishing and this Jesus, he can do whatever he wants with the other 10. I'm, I'm, I'm a loser, I'm a nobody. And Jesus sought him out. God will seek us out even when we think we're a failure to lift us back up and try to get us to exercise our free will and surrender back to him. And he is coming in and saying, do these things. Do these things. You know, and if we don't, then we just kind of fade into obscurity. God knows who we are. It doesn't mean we lose our salvation because we've been walking that, walk in the faith and everything. But we won't be known because we didn't do anything to be known for. And this is the important thing. When we step out in faith and work, God will give us that promotion and make us known, at least in certain circles. Now, it's kind of funny as you go to different denominations. There's pastors that, some, that they all know really well in their denomination, and you've never heard of them in any other denomination because they're just in their scope. You know, and you think about it, even in your own family, how many generations does it take to get most of your family un to be forgotten? You know, maybe you probably know your parents. <laughs> Might know your grandparents too, and your great-grandparents if, if your family start having kids young enough. But how much do you really know about your great-grandparents even? Or even your grandparents in many cases? But get out beyond that, you're lucky to know their name, unless they did something something big. 
But you know, for even in America, most people can't even name most of the early founding fathers of this country and know nothing hardly about any of them. You know, and they're famous for our country. And yet most people don't even know what they've done. Don't know their religious background. Don't know the sto how, how they stood for God. You know, and it's an amazing how little history we know. And I think history is so important for us. We need to know church history. We need to know, know a lot about what's going on in this for it. Because so much happens in the church and people don't know why we do things. Why, you know, little things like where did we get the Bible for? You know, because you'll hear people talk about how it's a man-made creation and they threw out anything that they didn't want to. But they had a lot of rules that they followed on, on putting this book together. A lot of rules. And they said, well, that they weren't. And, you know, and they had some struggles. You know, they, books that were quoted and they're going, well, we'd have problems with it because it didn't. The book of Hebrews was one that almost didn't make it in because even though it was quoted by all the early fathers, they didn't know, they didn't know for sure who wrote it and almost rejected it because of that. But it was used by so many of the you know, fathers that they go, we can't, <laughs> we can't throw it out because they, they accepted it. So they had, but they had a hard time with it because they, didn't know, they don't know who the writer is. And many people believe it's Paul. Some people believe it's Apollo. So there's all kinds of people all over the place on who wrote the book of Hebrews. All right. Uh, but there are rules that they followed. There are decisions that they made. And they have good logic behind it. But if we don't know our history, we don't know. And we get, we get fooled because I've heard many people go, well, you can't believe that. You know, they threw out all these <laughs> All these things, and many of the things they say they threw out is kind of interesting because they weren't written, they were written after <laughs> the decisions to, on what was in the Bible anyway. Uh, so it was very interesting. I'm going to just finish this one because I want to finish the paragraph. And it says that in verse 11 that God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul so that from his body were brought sick, uh, to the sick handkerchiefs, Aprons and diseases departed from him. Now, this is kind of an interesting statement. You know, this is the only statement in the Bible where something that belonged to somebody was taken to somebody and people were being healed. And basically what it's saying, that it, you know, Paul would wipe the sweat from his brow with a handkerchief. They'd take that handkerchief to people, touch them with it, and they'd be healed. And... Earlier we talked about the shadow of Peter fell on people and they would be healed. A lot closer proximity. Now, what has happened, unfortunately, from something like this is they start talking about these iconic things, you know, where we have to get this thing from somebody because it has power in itself. I think that's why God made it clear that this was a special blessing for some reason. Why? You know, I don't know. <laughs> You know, that would almost be saying, okay, pastor used this pen, so we're going to take this pen, and this pen's going to be <laughs> having power. We want to be careful with that because it's none, first off, the power does not belong to the person. All right? The power is God coming, being used by that person. And this is one of those things, I know it's in the Bible, I know it's true, but I just I struggle with it. God, why? <laughs> What? what is it that you were trying to show to them? You know, you know they, they took your apron and you know, took Paul's apron and they were healed. And the problem, biggest problem with that, there's churches all around this, especially in Europe, that have all these special things that are blessed because they're supposed to be the, the shirt of... of of Thomas, or the the hat the hat of so and so, or the the writing utensil of so and so. Now the first question is, how do you know that they are? <laughs> it is, and that's what and this is the hard part I have with this. And I think that's why God said very clearly that this was a special circumstance. All right, all right we're going to end here because we were at the end of our time. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for how much you love and care for us, Lord. We thank you that you do give us the power of your spirit to live in us. We thank you for all that you're going to do for us and guide and lead us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. 
Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23 we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431.